Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello, Hawkeye fans. Welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. I am your host, Rob Howe, and we are recording on Thursday, September the 22nd, a little after eh, about 9.15 a.m. Central Time, joined as always by Scott Docterman from The Athletic. Um, Big Ten play starting, Scott, and it's fall weather outside, so that's kind of nice. We got, what, 95 on Monday and high of 65 today, so typical uh, almost fall in Iowa, or is it fall now? I think it's fall, isn't it? I can't remember. I you know, know. If it, yeah. You know, there's solstices. Uh, there's all that other stuff. It's tough to keep track. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know. Uh, I would say right now that uh, you know, after what when we walked out of the press conferences and the player interviews on Tuesday, I got in my car and it was 101 according <laughs> to the car, and uh, and then yet today it was like 54. So <laughs> I mean, it's uh, welcome to Iowa, right? But I I love this weather. This is my favorite kind of weather. The weather you can wear any kind of clothes and feel comfortable. If you want to still wear shorts and a t-shirt, you should be okay. If you want to wear a sweatshirt and jeans, you're perfectly fine there too. And uh, it's it's what we always kind of define as football weather so you know i'm happy about that yeah and weather is certainly uh a apropos topic after what happened on saturday night against nevada i bailed at halftime man i uh i looked at the radar i had enough photos i was like you know what watch the second half of home i do that frequently anyway because i do the post game podcast on here with jovan and and uh, Jordan Canzeri, so it's just easier for me to be home. I'll, some of the some of them I'll stay and record from the stadium, but that one, looking at the radar, stand, you know, shooting in the rain for an entire half, my feet were wet. I was like, you know what, I'm too old for this. I don't need this experience. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it was uh, it was long, and then it was long. So I mean, it was the worst that I can remember. I mean, because even the other, we've, we've had two other big delays related to Iowa in the last uh, decade plus, you know, we had the Tennessee tech one that was only like an hour though, back in 2011, I want to say. And then, uh, and then a couple of years ago in Ames, that one was not 
fun just because you started to worry about the uncertainty of whether or not they're going to get it in. And then they, and then, oops, they both have the same bye week and you really didn't need to have Cyhawk week again. We, once is enough per year. So uh, this one was worrisome just because how much later is it going to get? And then me being an old dude, I was worried about how much, how late I'm going to have to work because I don't know if I can handle the next day too. So, uh, you know, leaving the stadium about four 30, getting home about five. That's, uh, that's a little different than the days when I used to leave Iowa city at that time, but I was in a little bit different state. <laughs> yeah. And there was, there was nothing really anybody could have done. I mean, it was, I mean, they could have called the game. They could have, I don't know if they could have pushed it to the next morning. That would have been traveling and, you know, throwing everybody's week off for, you know, with Big Ten coming up and conference play coming up for both schools. They think they did it the right way. And I know people were pissed that they came out, ran one play and went back in again. Um, You're dealing with Mother Nature. It's unpredictable. If they wouldn't have come out and done that, then people would have been mad because all of a sudden, if there wasn't a lightning strike and they wasted 45 minutes, I would have been pissed then. I'd be like, why didn't you at least try? You know, so I, I had no problem with that. Uh, you know, it, it was late, no question. Uh, but there weren't many good options for a team like Nevada. I mean, you got to respect the fact that they're coming from Reno, uh, that they can't, they don't want to just wait around for the, till the next day. And they actually have a game tomorrow night, Friday night uh, at Air Force. So it's not like they've got uh, unlimited time. And, All right. Yeah. We'll just stick it out and play at four in the morning or nine 30 or whatever. So they did the right thing. They got it in. The, the other option I suppose could have been uh, you know, Nevada would have wanted to forfeit, but who wants to do that? You're, you're flying again all the way to a Big Ten school. And um, it's not like Iowa has some opposing offense where you felt like you had no chance. And, and then likewise, they could have called no contest, but that's the worst case scenario, in my opinion. I mean, you're paying them a, what, one and a half million dollars to come and uh, you want to get the game in. BTN wants to get the game in. And Lord knows they had enough commercials late in the game to, to ensure that it was important. Um, that was the roughest part, in my opinion. And uh, so, therefore, 27 to nothing, Hawkeyes. Uh, you know, a quality win, I think, overall. The best game they've looked so far. Yeah, and uh, we'll have to uh, – we'll extrapolate some of the what our opinions from what we're able to see over seven hours. Um, not an easy evaluation um, because Nevada's – not very good, and Iowa's offense still has issues, but at least showed signs of life on Saturday and did some different things and uh, put things on film that weren't there before, which will make it tougher for teams to prepare for them. Uh, Going to have to complete some of those long passes, but to me, Scott, that was what I liked the most out of it because you and I sat here. I wrote about it in my preview um, last week. Got to take some shots. Got to try to loosen up the defense. And, they're, and they've done that now. And, uh, you know, hopefully over time those connect. At least you're not going to hit them all, but you you hit some of them. And that, those can change games, especially when Iowa has such a good defense and special teams. For sure. I love the shots down the field. I thought they were the right calls. And I thought, I thought Spencer's throws were, were terrific, frankly. I thought he really – uh, threw the ball well, uh, the best that I've seen him in a long time. Uh, I think he some, throws better long than short, don't you? 
no question. He's got a <laughs> he's got a big arm, and and he was throwing to some of the spots, and he was hitting the spots. the 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 issue was that the receivers aren't quite there yet. They've got they're rusty. They're running routes. You know, talking to Nico Regani the other day, uh, you know, he said, "Look, uh, Copeland made fun of him because he was running like Frankenstein on that corner route where he would have scored most of the time." He said, "He said instead of really digging, getting there, and then throwing your hands up late." You know, he was running with his hands out and that yeah. was slowing him down a little bit. And he would have got it. Um, you saw um, Brody Breck get turned around. And, and that's something that a veteran receiver, it wouldn't happen. He would have scored. And and he saw some other routes that were really close to being completed. And uh, so, you know, was it, you know, you only count the ones you make. But I think in Iowa's case, we really have to examine it for the positives that were there because they haven't had very many this year. And I think you got to respect the fact that they looked better in that part of the game. Now um, we all know that Nevada is the weakest opponent that is on their schedule. I mean, even a, a Northwestern or an Illinois or somebody like that typically would be, um, I wouldn't say you just mark it down, but you know, certainly not Northwestern ever, but <laughs> you know, the, the, you know, they're going to give Iowa problems because they do. Um, but I think that in this case, Okay, it's something to build on, and that's something we didn't see offensively in the first two weeks. I mean, I, we probably both of us, we just kind of threw up our hands and say, I don't know how they're going to get any better, and they still got a million miles to go, but they made steps forward, and I think that's that's good in in retrospect. Yeah, no doubt, and you get Nico Regini or Regini or however he pronounces his last name. <laughs> what is it? Raganini. Okay. Um, you get him reps, you get Brecht, you know, reps, meaningful. He had a few, you know, in the first two games, but now you go into Rutgers with those guys with a little bit of, you know, momentum. And, you know, it's not like you're putting them out there the first game of the season on the road. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't look like Keegan Johnson's going to play. So that's a bummer um, because that's just having all three of those guys back with Bruce is just, I mean, it's like night and day from what we saw the first two weeks. But um, Nico was after that um, after that corner, he was limping a little bit. I, I don't think he's a hundred percent yet, but I think he's well enough to help. And his connection with Spencer is obvious, and it should be. They've been playing together for a long time. They've been roommates. They're good friends. Uh, so that's nice going into Rutgers having having that connection back. For sure. That's been, um, it, it's really important for this team that because Nico is the, the one player on that unit that can walk in there and he knows what he's doing. It's just a matter of whether it's, you know, conditioning, game speed, catching up to, to what he can do before he hurt, you know, broke his foot, frankly, you know, he had a screw inserted in his foot. Um, before he can do that, you know, that's really the only um you know, you, you have to wait for him to catch up. It's going to take time. And I, I wouldn't even suggest that he'll be perfectly healthy all year. I mean, football players will say they're they're healthy and they're not. They're, none of them are, especially at the end of the year. They're all – and the ones that admit that they're banged up are usually the ones that are really bad and they're really sucking it up. And, you know, everybody's got a torn something or, you know, the, a lot of their times there's surgeries and they're waiting for the whole year before they do it. Uh, so uh, I, I did – I think that – you know, his foot is going to bother him. That's that's a really difficult place for, you know, a knee you can kind of shake off a little bit easier. Uh, a foot, you know, you put all your weight on it. That's what it's, that's why it's there. And so I think that, 
I'm really anxious to see growth from Brody Brecht. I think Brody is going to be, um, you know, he, he's a he's a big target. He's got downfield speed. I, you know, he's, he's a body that can do some things. I think he's got some real potential. It's just going to be a matter of can he catch up to, you know, how quickly can he catch up to running the routes the right way? And you know, last week, you know, he looked like somebody who was playing in basically his first game, which he did. Um, I think week two, maybe he's better, you know, and then eventually he's going to break out. And, you know, is he going to break out big time? I don't know, but he's going to break out. He's going to have a touchdown at some point, maybe this week, maybe the next two or three games. And uh, he's going to look good and, and everybody's going to see why he's on scholarship and why football baseball is going to be such a difficult decision for him, at least while he's in college. Yeah, he's missed so much time with injuries and baseball and everything else that uh, he needs to be uh, on the fast track here in terms of reps and practice and learning and getting a connection with with Spencer. But we did see when you take shots downfield, when you open it up, when you have more options in the passing game, it opens things up for the running game. That's not a mystery. We know that. That's what how Iowa uh, operates, at least um, when teams are going to, you know, load up to take the runaway those shots are going to be there and then you take some shots and then defenses have to respect those and things open up for the running game coming out party for Caleb Johnson uh Gavin Williams got his most uh work of the season so far uh you know condolences to LaShawn Williams uh, who lost his dad and had to miss the game. He's back at practice this week. So you have three running backs now that are on film that teams have to prepare for. Um, so I think all in all, Scott, coming out of Nevada, you have to feel like you did what you could, so to speak, with what you had, and now you have to be better going forward. Yeah. It's it's about, you know, really turning the treadmill up. <laughs> you know, that you're able to kind of go at a two, you know, offensively, now you got to go to a 430 or four and a half or a five. And whether or not you're ready, you're going to have to do it because the competition intensifies. I mean, you know, Rutgers, this is not the Rutgers teams we've seen in the past. I mean, they, I'm not saying that they're good, but I'm saying that they're going to fight you and they're physical and they, they're capable of winning. And I wouldn't even have said that a couple of years ago. I think they were capable of, you know, they were like playing a, group of five team more than anything, you know, one of the pay games, but that's not the case anymore. And uh, they have a really good defense. And of course we see Iowa's offense. That's going to be a challenge for Iowa. Uh, they have an outstanding punter. I think this is going to be the greatest punting matchup in college football history. And I'm not even that hyperbolic on that, um, you know, and, but their offense is every bit as limited as Iowa's. They do run the ball better. But Iowa's defense, even though the statistics line up a little bit more for Rutgers, I think that's misleading. I think Iowa's defense still is the best unit in the game. Uh, so it's, it's going to be a matter of the typical Iowa games, uh, field position, um, third down execution, turnover margin. Those are all going to be really important factors. And, uh, you know, and, and maybe, you know, nobody, nobody likes to say this, <laughs> not in Iowa anyway, but Spencer Petras gives you an advantage because at least he's been in these environments for the most part, you know, except when he starts forcing the ball and he does that more when it's imperative that he does, he's going to take care of it. And uh, so it's going to be, 
hey, let's just not make any mistakes and let's let them make the mistake. And it's not exactly aesthetically pleasing, but I think this is where Iowa has an advantage, you know, going against a team that is kind of in a little bit of foreign territory. They're 3-0. and They're having a night game. They're really pushing hard, scarlet out or whatever it is. It's It's not that dissimilar to what Iowa experienced at Maryland last year. Yes, and we'll have to see what type of home field advantage Rutgers has. It's not a not a great home field advantage to say the least, but it's dealt with. Um, I mean, it's lost 19 home games in a row. It hasn't won since 2017 at home. It's tough to get people fired. Hey, come on out, watch us lose. Now, yeah. there's context there. They're playing in a in the Big Ten East with Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State. Yeah. Um, you know. So that makes it a little bit more difficult to win at home. But still, 2017 is a long time ago. And you had the COVID season, too, so there were you missed opportunities there. But uh, I'm interested to see what this is like, Scott, because this – I think they kind of – Rutgers is kind of in that spot, as you alluded to, that are, are they going in the right direction with Shiano back? This is a big game for them. This this could be one of those games where if the Scarlet Knights are able to get it, that's a huge building block for this program and his rebuild. No question. Because you look, I mean, Iowa is a team that was in the Big Ten Championship last year. Iowa's, um, you know, over the last five years or four years has the, the second most wins in the Big Ten established program uh, you know that competes at a very high level and and you would really put a statement on the progress of your program if you can beat Iowa like this now uh you know they did and I, they beat Michigan State in that COVID year right off the bat but they had a new coach too and it, it wasn't exactly like Michigan's and I mean they floundered that year and they were really good last year um that still doesn't have the same kind of feel that an Iowa you know uh with a guy the dean of head coaches coming an Iowa team with a great defense and um if they were able to pull that off and go four and oh to start um it's a statement win and you got to respect that for them that that's what they want to come away with now when you play with that kind of emotion and you're not you're not conditioned to it it can be a detriment if things don't go your way very quickly if iowa you know was just able to hey push the ball whether whether or not you score i mean you know, you don't want to get greedy here because we're talking about Iowa's offense. But if you can, you know, if let's say Iowa gets the ball first and they get the ball close to midfield and punt and they put them at the 10 and then they go three and out and you just kind of play punt ball, field position ball for a little while, that'll bore the crowd. And that'll what that does is a lot of cases it forces the emotional team to start to press. And, and that's where Iowa has a severe advantage for, okay, the third series for Rutgers, it's like, you know, we're on our own 19. Uh, the quarterback goes back to pass. He gets sacked. He fumbles. Iowa recovers. Iowa scores a touchdown. Then the, then the emotional high goes to an emotional low like that. And then that's when you have the steamroller effect that can happen for an Iowa. What they, what they need to do is, for Rutgers, is push the ball in Iowa try to get points however they come field goal even a touchdown would be awesome for them and uh and then force some three and outs and then they can play the field position game and then execute when they need to so that's certainly 
you know, that's kind of the game and the strategy that you play. So I think in Iowa's case, it's take care of the ball, play field position football, get off the field on third down and uh, and execute when the opportunity is there strike. And, and Iowa's usually been pretty good at that, especially against teams like a, like a Rutgers, no matter, you know, this year or in years past. Yeah, I would be surprised if there weren't conservative offensive game plans on both sides just to kind of, you know, with Corsack and, and Taylor, you alluded to it earlier about the punters, you know, you have weapons there, you know that, you know, there's no reason to take a risk against the team and, and give, a, give up a short field against the team that struggles offensively. You don't want to give an advantage. Um, and we saw last week after Cooper DeGene's interception sets Iowa up in good position and Iowa scores. The punt block against Iowa State, boom, sets you up for a quick score. Um, so that's probably going to be the case in this game. It's going to be a battle of field position um, and a, probably a four-quarter game. Uh, unless Iowa, I, if one team's going to pull away, I think it's Iowa. Um, but I, I think the odds are, <laughs> and the odds makers are telling you, uh, I, I woke up this morning and we'll talk more about picks later, but uh, it is at 34 now for the total, which is the lowest since 2000 in college football. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So <laughs> it may be FBS, college football or power five. I'm not sure, but Needless to say, it's not common. So it's going to be a low-scoring game, most likely. And um, it's going to be a match. I think comes down to, you know, who makes the mistakes and who can take advantage of the other's mistakes and field position and things like that. Um, and then we'll see what happens at, you know, at place kicker for Iowa. Because that's certainly – we've talked about it throughout the summer and – into the season, Scott, that these I was going to have games where the field goals are important, um, you know, and Drew Stevens looked really good last week. Aaron Bloom struggled in the first couple games. Granted, one was in awful weather. Um, do you take LeVar Woods at his word that this is still a, an open competition? I do. I, I do. But I also think that, OK, now it's now uh, Drew Stevens is driving the car. So if he continues to drive it straight, you know, he made two field goals in bad weather last week. Um, then, you know, if he goes two for two again this week or, you know, hits the shots that he needs to hit, then there's no reason to change. Um, you know, but I, I also imagine that he's watched these guys in practice for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, you'd be throwing away a guy that you felt good enough about starting the season as your kicker based on one field goal in the driving rain from 48 yards, which is not a gimme. Uh, you wouldn't want to throw him away. He's had one bad kick and that was in the first game. But uh, so, yeah, I do think it's still a competition. I think it's probably going to come down to, um, you know, how does Drew Stevens compete this week? Again, if he has, if he's capable of making field goals and then there's no reason to change, but if he misses, you know, he might miss some one or two and then it becomes, all right, now what do you do? And, and next week's against Michigan at home and, you know, so I can understand that. So it's going to be who's going to be the most consistent. So I, I do take him at his word. And as we know, I think the rest of the season, field goal kicker is going to be very, very important for Iowa. 
because I don't know that there's any game that I could say, I think Iowa's going to win decisively at this point. Now, maybe that will change over the next few weeks. But I, I look at it and I say, and conversely, other than maybe Ohio State, possibly Michigan, I don't look at a game that I, I think that I was not going to be in either, that I was going to compete in. So I think you need that field goal kicker. And, and so I, I'm sure they want to make the right decision. Neither one of them has a lot of equity. You know, there's no, hey, this is Keith Duncan and second year and he's missed a couple of kicks that normally he makes. Give You know, hey, just shake it off, move on. There's none of that. So I do take him up at his word that this is still – Still a competition, but I think, it, again, it's, it's Drew Stevens driving the car this week again. Yep, I agree with that assessment. I think the one, I guess, concern you would have here is if Stevens struggles and then you replace him again and you get into a juggling match with the kicker. You don't want that. You want one of these guys to just, boom, take off with the job. And now that's Stevens, so... I think if you're an Iowa fan and a coach, you want him, obviously, to be really good going forward here and not have any kicker controversy, so to speak. But if he misses one this week, especially an important one or two, and it's the difference in the game, then you've got decisions to make. And it's hard to know how that how the guy, whoever it is, is going to perform the next time out. As you said, Scott, there's just not a lot of we don't have a lot of. Um, uh, it's not a, a large sample size here. We've got one guy who's kicked two games, one guy who's kicked one game, and, you know, we just don't know where it's going from here. You hope for the best, though. Well, sure, and, and I think you just want whoever's out there to be successful overall. Right. And personality, person aside, it's all about that. And, uh, and, you know, obviously, if you look at age, if you can have a true freshman kicker go out and win the job, You've got him for, you know, four years. And that's a, that's a good thing for a program like Iowa. And, you know, and Drew Stevens does obviously have a leg and a leg strength. I think that's a pretty obvious. It's a matter of consistency. And, um, you know, he, he built a little bit of a bank for me last week because those weren't, you know, they, they, they were short. One of them was short, but it was like a 33 and a 43, but it was in the rain. And it was, uh, you know, one of them came after the delay. So he, it, it's not easy to just go out there cold, wet, standing in the rain, and then all of a sudden go out there and kick. He's going to have other difficult uh, conditions. He's going to, you know, either one of them, they're going to miss another field goal at some point. It might even be an important one or one that uh, seems important at the time. So I think we just got to keep, keep that in mind that um, there's going to be some ups and downs because all field goal kickers experience it. You want them to keep their confidence high because as it's, it's a skill as opposed to you don't necessarily need to worry about keeping your guards confidence high or your you know rush end <laughs> because they can use physical power to kind of generate confidence. Uh, but a kicker, you know, a quarterback, a pass receiver, those three skills are very important um, to keep a good mind on and mentally. And, and so you want to keep that fresh and healthy for him and, you know, whether he misses it or makes it, you know, just not, not having stress about it because you want the stress to be in practice, not during a game. You, uh, you uh, either inadvertently or expertly segued into the next thing I wanted to talk about when you mentioned guard. Um, <laughs> offensive line, uh, I think is, you know, we talked about receiver starting to get healthy, looking up a little bit, you know, 
not T. Higgins and uh, who's, the, who's the other guy for the Bengals? Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase. Yeah, we're not talking about that level, but um, better receivers, more target or more opportunities to to uh, succeed in the passing game. Sounds like there's some competition going on on the offensive line. Tyler Ellsbury looks like a guy who may have earned some playing time uh, with his performance against Nevada. Um, it's really, you know, the, I thought the first game, Scott, was uh, it was across the board not good. Uh, from, from left tackle to right, there were breakdowns all over the place. Thought the tackles got a little bit better against Iowa State and were much better against Nevada, um, but the, the issues are inside. So that's really what needs to be fixed at this point. Yeah, that that's the that's the problem for where things stand with Iowa and, and trying to analyze the the line play over the last few years and <clears throat> the good and the bad, frankly, is uh <clears throat> excuse me. Um I think when you look at a couple of years ago, it, it, you know, for most years, you'd have like two or three seniors and maybe a junior that they've been multi-year starters. And then you're looking at one, maybe two guys that kind of step in that are, that are newish that are, you know, they, maybe they rotate, maybe they uh, you know, they're, they're just playing some, maybe they start, but you know, you're not, you've got Alec Jackson on one side, Tristan Wirfs on another, and then you're worried about, okay, we're going to move in Justin Britt, and rotate him or something like that. They're at, scratch on this right now i mean you know mason richmond and Col connor colby are the ones who played last year but you know they're still only sophomores i mean they're not exactly like senior level right now they've got a long way to go and and i think you know richmond has probably been the most consistent i've seen of the of the linemen through three games which is what you want it yeah he's the only guy who was playing where he was playing last year so that makes right. sense even though he did have injuries i, I I think Connor Colby's getting there. I think you would agree with that. It's just going to take him a little time playing tackle yeah. in college. You know, you're dealing with, you know, inside you're dealing more with power, outside you're dealing with power and speed. Mm -hmm. And and you've got to set differently. You've got to attack differently. You can't you've, – you've got more space to work with, which, uh, you know, really is the separator along with arm length and what, you know, determines an NFL guard in a, in a tackle. Uh, you don't have a veteran presence at center, even somebody who's been at a center, say, for a couple of years. And I think that's been a real eye opener for me to some extent that, you know, we, we could look at Logan Jones, his physical attributes are tremendous. Uh, obviously, his mental aptitude has to be really good to play center for for Iowa. But he's also very, very green. And, uh, you know, something as simple as uh, what happens with the snap to me has been a real problem because they've had some delayed snaps, like it just kind of yeah. double clutches and stuff. And that ruins everything that ruins the tempo, especially when you're in a zone scheme and, you know, where Petrus has to like double clutch it. I'm not blaming the quarterback on that one. That's the quarterback's been there for three years. Uh, but I am going to say that, okay, yeah, you can blame the center, but you got to blame the offensive line coach if you're not getting that thing figured out because you need to. He needs to be snapping the ball a thousand times a day um, to make sure that the quarterback's getting it without any issues. And then finally, at guard, um, it's it's going to take time. I think you're going to see rotation. And I think, you know, the other part is they always rotate. Usually it's like they have like their star guard, you know, the guy who, you know, mm -hmm. this guy's going to go to the NFL or something. And then you have your other guy who's, 
you know, let's let's work in somebody with him. You know, every third series, let's get that freshman in to, to kind of get his feet wet because we know he's going to be a player in the future. Well, they just don't have that. And uh, Nick DeYoung is, you know, kind of a veteran, but he's a junior. I think in a perfect world, Jack Blum would have been a starter this year, taking that step, been that good senior story, and they could have kept, say, Connor Colby inside for one more year. Um, then they would have been in probably a better situation. But if Connor Colby's the better tackle, play him, you know, and, and work through the inside. But I have seen some progress, but not enough to make me go, yeah, this team's on the rise right now. I think there's still a lot of issues. And knowing who's on deck, not only this week, but Michigan, Ohio State, Illinois, um, and beyond, it, it, there's bound to be a lot of issues the rest of the way. Yeah, these next four games, man, Rutgers, Ohio, uh, Rutgers, Michigan, Illinois, Ohio State, all really good defenses with fronts that are good. So these these young bucks have to grow up quick. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing you can do and you can't say what if, but I'm going to say what if because I think about it. You know, if Justin Britt and Cody Ince are at guard right yeah. now and then you figure out center. And then mm -hmm. personally for me, I think, and, and I don't want to dump on Logan Jones because he, yeah. um, he's doing everything he can. He's trying, I mean, he was hurt a lot last year, so he wasn't even really on the yeah. field to kind of get himself acclimated that way. Then he's got to switch over quick. Then he's splitting reps in the spring to a certain degree. Um, but I think maybe I underestimated what the drop-off might be without Linderbaum. And I shouldn't have because we all said Linderbaum is a generational talent, but we saw that switch of him switching from defensive tackle to center and said, okay, it can happen again. Even knowing that it's going to be, it's not going to be like just, you know, a, a perfect switch over and the new guy is going to be as good as the old guy. But I didn't know, I didn't know there would be this many growing pains and I'm with you. I think the offensive line coach needs to figure this out and put these guys you, you can't get them more experience this is getting them more experience playing them but you have to do things to put them in position to succeed both in practice during the week and then in games so they don't struggle as much as they struggle yeah I, I think the interior really has and a lot of times I don't know if it's they're, they they're not prepped for these looks if they're just getting beat if they're they're getting beat with their eyes um, it's not that they're getting destroyed physically necessarily maybe they're moving the wrong way but yeah that's youth that's inexperience that's going to come along but it's also like it should have come along farther. I mean, they're they're playing against, you know, not in practice now, Lord knows, but, you know, during camp and during the spring and stuff, they're going against one of the best defenses in the country. And so they've had their ass kicked quite a few times, but they need to mount, uh, you know, a challenge and the resistance. And uh, they should have by now. And maybe they did a little bit. But, um, you know, Logan, uh, you know, I, I, I still have high hopes for him. I think he's Me got too. potential. Um you know, if Mike Maslinski didn't get hurt during bowl prep and have to have surgery and miss so much time, would he have been the guy that stepped in naturally? Because he's played that position. You know, mm -hmm. that was what he was here for. Yep. Um, and maybe he still is. And maybe Logan Jones is more of a guard than a center. Um, you know, that's very well something that because Mike Maslinski hasn't played yet. And I imagine it's more because of still kind of slowing him down a little bit, you know, not making sure he gets back too much. You know, it was Tyler Ellsbury, that guy, because, you know, you played the what if game and, you know, since we're going down that path and uh, it's open, the door is open for what ifs. 
Yeah, exactly. Let's let's play what if for a minute or three. And um, Mason Richmond's at left tackle. Cody Ince is at right tackle. Um, Connor Colby's at um, at right guard. Then you feel a lot better. Then you think, okay, we can work with this because you feel like three of the five are at least in quality territory. And you know, Justin Britt, the other guard, maybe he's a center, you know, something like that. Then I think, and if he's healthy, then it's just center. Or you say, you know what, Cody Ince can play all five positions, which is what they've said a lot of times in the past. And then it's working on, well, maybe it's another guard, maybe it's another tackle, maybe it's Jack Plum. And you feel like, okay, you could again, kind of work with this. This isn't a dominant unit, but it's a capable unit. And right now they're not even there yet. And I, I think in the running game, they had some good plays. I think their outside zone to the left is, is okay because Mason Richmond's doing a nice job of, of setting the edge. I don't know that their tight ends are playing all that well in that part of the game. And their guards are really struggling still because they're they're failing to either A, execute reach blocks or the, the, the tackle instead of going to that space is peeling back and going inside on them and then nobody's picking them up or they're not being able to catch up. And boom, they're in and they, they run there. The inside zone encounter are, are better. Uh, and I would probably lean more that direction because it's just mano a mano hit guy in front of you. It's not as, it's not as Iowa as you want to be, you know, because when it's, it's going well, it's going really well. But I think in some ways, at least you got hat on a hat and you can let your, you know, more physical running backs find the hole a little bit easier, get hit that hole while it's there and uh, they can push the pile and get you in more advantageous situations. Maybe put Potabon on the guard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he had a nice block on that second yeah. Caleb Johnson. He and Richmond were yeah. both really big on that one. So, um, yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I just said, yeah, the counter really worked on that play when, yep. because they're pulling and the, the lead blockers out on the edge were just great. You know, so if they can get more of that, obviously we're, we're not going to talk about the offensive line very much. But, <laughs> yeah. but uh, until that happens consistently or at least enough to where it matters, um, then I think uh, it's going to be an, an issue that everybody addresses. What do you think they do here? You think they try Ellsbury at center? You think they try him at one of the guard spots? Sounds like he's going to play more. Do you? Do you rotate centers? Can you do that? I mean, it's not ideal. That's a great question. Depends on how much they think that Logan Jones is continuing to to progress. So I think if he is, and if he can get the snap down and do what they're asking him to do, he's just coming a little slow, then I think you you live with it. Just, okay, you know, like uh, Raphael Eubanks was that way. You know, Mm -hmm. early in his career, he was – he started as a freshman. It wasn't perfect right away. By the end of his career, he was pretty good. I think you could kind of live with that. Um, but if you think that it's just not quite there and you probably need somebody else to do it, don't mess around at that position. I think guard, you can mess around a little bit more. But center with the with the calls, with getting the snap back, that's that's the one to me that I'm like, I, I, you, can, you can kind of uh, overlook some of the flaws or some of the inexperienced, but if you can't get the snap back, then you got to do something else. That's just not what it's about. And, and, you know, maybe Muslinski gets healthy enough to where they put him in. Maybe it's Ellsbury, but I thought Ellsbury played well the other night. And he's got an edge to him, man. He's got that nasty. Yeah. I like him. I think, uh, and and it's weird because I don't know, you know, what's happened there. I mean, he was like the starter during uh, 
kids day and, and then spring and stuff. And then the, have there been any injuries with him? No, you know, and, hmm. and Kirk, you know, we asked Kirk about it a couple of weeks ago and he's like, well, we just decided to go with that unit, you know, kind of a more of a matter of he wasn't good enough or we didn't see enough or something like that. And to me, I, I just find that really interesting and, and fascinating, but I thought he played well the other day. I think Dun uh, Jennings Dunker has some potential too, but I, I don't know, you know, he's been really up and down. He's had some really good plays and then he's had some that you're just like, Oh my God. Like Same you know, with that, Stevens, right? Yeah. Yeah. Both, Both of those guys, place. you know, and they're red shirt freshmen. Right. So you got to live with that a little bit. I think they're both are going to be good, but it's, you're living with a lot of, living with a lot of ills right now. And that's, that's tough now that you've entered big 10 play and you didn't, you know, to, that's why going all the way back to this first game of the season with South Dakota state. And I, I remember asking Kirk, you know, who, who the hell scheduled this game, you know, and because I knew that wasn't going to be cakewalk city, you know, South Dakota, you know, South Dakota state is one of the perennial powers in, in FCS football. They're going to be really energized. They've played well against F FBS teams and, and teams like Iowa in particular, they got a lot of Iowans on their roster. We're energized. They want to come in and, and compete. And this is their opportunity to show the world that they were overlooked. And um, they had a really good defense. And as we know, Iowa, especially in the passing game, really struggled. And, and it's just, <laughs> you know, if you would have had a cakewalk in week one, if you would have had a directional Utah State team in here, you know, and you could have worked through some of these issues, got some confidence. I'm not saying it would have been beneficial, but I think it would have been more beneficial than what they're kind of living through now, because now you just can't do it. Now you're, you're set in what you're doing and you're just trying to find the best five you can. Yeah. And Shiano is uh, uh, an excellent defensive mind and uh, he's going to see where the weaknesses are on all Iowa's offensive line and attack there. Uh, the Scarlet Knights, I think are second nationally in rushing defense, 32.2 yards per game mm -hmm. allowed. Now you got Wagner in there, yeah. uh, Boston college and temple. So it's not like they're playing murderers row, but yeah. You hold teams to 32.2 yards rushing, you're doing something right. So it's hard to imagine Iowa goes out there and runs for 200. So the, the yeah. sledding is going to be tough in the running game. Um, so it'll be interesting to me, Scott, how Brian uh, plans this one. If you throw to open up the run or you just try to hammer and play that conservative game plan that we were talking about earlier and let the punter and the defense uh, go and, you know, special teams as a whole. I don't want to just single out the punter, although there's going to be a lot of attention on the punters this week, but interesting week for what Iowa will game plan on offense. No question. And I think, you know, it, the, the, the predictability that Brian has, is it's not as there, there's some of it that's predictable. And I think what I thought he called a good game against the I, uh, I did too. Uh, and this is kind of where you go and what people look at is one, if you call a run and they stretch it out and they hold the Iowa for no gain, Oh, see, you know, that's predictable. And then, you know, then it's second and 10 and you got to throw. There's also the, you know, throw it on first down and you don't get it. You need to stay ahead of the chains in some respects. And so you come back to the run and Iowa is very predictable there in doing that. And so um, where I think Iowa would be beneficial is you do have a veteran quarterback with a strong arm. 
And you do now have receivers who at least have a little bit of experience. And like Brody Breck's case, has a little bit of talent, you know, more talent than what's there. I think you try, since you have Regani, Ragani, and uh, I'm going to really screw that one up for this. I'm never going to get used to that after all. What has he been here for? Five years? This is his fifth year. Fifth yeah. year, yeah. He's Regani yeah. in Iowa. Yeah, right. You just, <laughs> it's it's like Joe Thiesman versus Joe Thiesman, or Tony Dorsett versus Tony Dorsett. And I'm yeah. three quarters Italian, and I'm not. I just, I'm having a tough time getting over yeah. uh, the name change this yeah. late in his career. Right. Well, with, with him and Sam Laporta, especially yeah. that I think you try as best as you can to, to execute gift routes on first down, which is get them in a position to where they can get open and you can throw them play catch. And, and that may sound simple, but a lot of times on first down, or, you know, first and 10 or whatever, a lot of times the, the defensive backs will play off coverage on somebody or play in a, in a way where they're giving up. They, they have to give up something on the field. Um, otherwise, then they're not going to have a pass rush or even stop a run. So if you can find that area and hit it for four or five yards, that helps you move the chains. That keeps you less predictable because at second five, you can do whatever you want. Uh, third and you know, two, you can do whatever you want. Um, so I would expect that since you do have a veteran quarterback with a strong arm, this is probably the difference than if you would have had, let's say it's Joey Labus or even Alex Padilla on the road and something like this, that where you'd feel more close to the best, like we just got to, you know, be conservative here. I think with Spencer, it gives you a little bit more. And, and I'm not changing my tune on Spencer from a week or two ago. He didn't play very well. I thought, especially against South Dakota State, and, you know, against Iowa State, but um, he is capable of hitting some of those routes. You know, if it's a short hitch to Nico Regani for five yards, perfect. Then you, you, you can have the full measure of your playbook. You can even go with a, a deep pass on second and five, because on third and five, you're still in makeable territory for either, either type of discipline. Yeah, and I thought Brian did a good job of putting Spencer, taking advantage of Spencer's strengths. He's a guy you can roll out and still can throw bullets. Yeah, It's like some guys roll out and it messes up their throws. You're, you're cutting off some of the field. Spencer can make all the throws by rolling out, um, taking some deep shots. As we said, he's got accuracy on the deep ball. Take advantage of his skills. And, um, you know, we've talked about this before. You know, I, I don't know is this the same but I think you set, try to set Rutgers defense up a la Mississippi State in the Outback Bowl. You may have to punt some. You may have some three and outs, but give them some looks, do some things, you know, set them up with Regani, Raganini, whatever his name is, uh, Laporta, set some things up where the, where the guys that are on the top of Rutgers scouting report, report use them, set them up, and maybe hit a shot here or there and get a big play. So um, really important that the game plan is on point this week because points are going to be at a premium. For sure. You know, you bring up Mississippi State. You know, that's a great example. That was, you know, Iowa still had a good offensive line. Um, they had good, you know, pretty good receivers, at least one good tight end left. But that was an NFL caliber defense. I mean, they had three first-round draft picks. And Jeff Simmons. 
Jeffrey Simmons might have been the, one of the best defensive players I've seen play against Iowa. He was just an, an animal in there. Uh, they knew that they weren't going to be able to run the ball very effectively. They also knew that they couldn't just throw it on three straight passes because then they'd A, get Nate Stanley probably knocked out, and B, uh, they weren't going to be very successful in the heat and complementary football-wise. It would put a lot of pressure on their defense. So they had to run just to keep them honest. And how did that work out? Well, early in the second quarter, play action fake on the outside zone, and you have Jonathan Abram, who's still playing yeah. <laughs> the Raiders, uh, took two steps forward, and Nick Easley went right past him in the slot for a 75-yard touchdown. And and that's that's what you do. It's kind of like, uh, you know, and boxing metaphors and football metaphors go hand in hand, like, you know, water and uh, wine, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> you know, I'm throwing all kinds of mixed analogies here. But, uh, but it's kind of like sometimes using your jab, even if you're not – whether you're connecting or you're not making any damage, but you're setting it up for their next punch. And that's kind of what you have to do. Now, I think Iowa's more, you know, is, is capable of running on Rutgers simply because I don't think that defense is anywhere near what Mississippi State's yeah. was. And they haven't played anybody as good as Iowa, frankly. You know, I don't think any of those three teams are anywhere near Iowa. That said, Iowa's offensive line is struggle enough that you're going to have to you're still going to have to push the ball. You're still going to have to run it. You're going to, that's what you do because you're going to have to get confidence in it because your next three games and really, frankly, the rest of the season, if you don't do it, you're going to get beat. If, if you have a 30-yard rushing performance, it's not going to work against any other team. So I expect him fully to, to be engaged in that part of the of the game. Yeah, definitely intriguing to see what, uh, what game plans will look like on both sides. I uh, wanted to let folks know that support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That's Systems Unlimited. Thank them for their support. And we're going to take a little break here to hear from some more of our sponsors. And Scott and I will be back on the other side. We'll have uh, some more analysis from this game, maybe a little broader look at the Big Ten as a whole heading into conference play. And we'll have our weekly picks uh, in which uh, Scott is kicking my ass. So uh, I'm going to have to make up some ground here. But we'll be back on the other side of this break. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Oriza Asian Cuisine and Bar is celebrating its fifth year anniversary. Enjoy Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, and Korean all combined into one menu. Visit Five Sturgis Corner Drive next to Staples in Iowa City. Open 11 to 10 every day, 365 days a year, or visit online at arisaic.com. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. 
And we're back. Thank you for the spot to those sponsors and uh, also Wild Rose Casino and Edward Jones, which you heard at the front end of the podcast. We appreciate all of our wonderful sponsors for helping support our podcast. Um, Scott, when you look at Iowa's defense against Rutgers offense, I know there's being there's some people are trying to find something here for Rutgers and the thing right now is that we don't know who's going to play quarterback they have three guys uh um is it Vedral Vendral yeah no Vedral yeah Vedral who's been around since what the Kennedy administration yeah Nebraska (laughs) he's been around forever I think he's been at Rutgers for 10 years but uh and then they've got two two younger guys well Met is the He's the dual threat guy. He's their highest ranked recruit ever at quarterback. Um, I think ideally they would like him to be the guy. I'm not sure he's there yet. Um, so it's not like they're preparing for Dan Marino, John, Joe Montana, and Aaron Rodgers here. The, these guys all have huge deficiencies. And I just can't see Rutgers doing much against Iowa's defense unless it's put on short fields, gets a big return. They've got a good return guy. Um, So that's the only really way that I see Rutgers being, I don't see long drives against Iowa's defense from this offense. No, it's going to have to be a turnover and score for Rutgers against Iowa. That's um, they might be able to move the ball a little bit, maybe run it a little bit. Um, but but even so, you know, like in the first game against Boston College, and, and let's face it, BC is not a great team, and they only won by one point. Uh, they ran, I think they averaged five yards a carry. I throw out the, the middle game is as useless as any game you'll find out there. It's like Iowa right? playing Co. Yeah, and no, you're right. It, it is upper Iowa Co. You know, it's it's there's really nothing to gain out of that game, uh, sixty six to seven. So any kind of statistics, I just kind of throw out. So what I did was I looked at okay, how did the quarterbacks compete um, in the uh, you know in those two games against Boston College and Temple? Yeah, and against Temple, uh, Evan Simon was nine of fifteen for fifty two yards, and they won they won sixteen to fourteen with a pick six. Um, you know, Boston College, they won by a point, and Simon was 8 of 13 for 63 yards. I so, wonder how often in game four of a season you've had two teams going against each other that both won games without scoring an offensive touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got to think the odds of that are very long. Yeah, I don't think I don't, I don't. I imagine you're right. Maybe I should stump the <laughs> stump the champ at our at our place. Our one of our uh, gurus who gets all the stats for us when we ask him and stuff. And that's but, but again, I'm sorry to interrupt. The quarterback performances in those other two games you were going with. Yeah, I I'm not impressed. I mean, I think that uh, Iowa's is our, Iowa's are better. You know, yep. now no no federal again we. He played for Nebraska, transferred, went to Rutgers. He's a capable quarterback. I would probably put him on the level of Alex Padilla, um, you know, and that's not bad. You know, the, is it good? Well, it depends on how Spencer Petrus is doing, whether Gagem is really good or not. Uh, but, um, you know, they ran the ball effectively in the opener against Boston College, uh, you know, 212 yards. But last week, you know, they – I'll give it to them. They stick with the run, you know, 41 carries, but only 142 yards. You know, that's three and a half yards per carry against Temple. 
Iowa's defense is way better than Temple's defense. And, um, you know, because sometimes what happens is if a team's schedule, uh, I, I do this all the time, where you get kind of like, uh, you start looking at the, the team's flaws of the team you cover, and then you you overemphasize the opponent, and then you realize, you know what, the team we cover is pretty damn good. So um, I think in, in this case, uh, you know, Iowa has a significant advantage against them. I, I don't, I can't see them moving 75, 80 yards against Iowa, maybe once, maybe if we're if they're lucky once. And I think but, that would come if. Iowa's defense was gassed at the end of the game because Iowa's offense is three and out, three and out, three and out, and they just wear down. Yeah, no, you're right. And and that's the only way I see that being, you know, a factor. So, um, you know, again, I think they can run the ball somewhat effectively, but I don't think that this, that Iowa's going to let them beat them in any way, you know. So if they win, it's going to have to be like the Iowa State game. You know, that Iowa's just not going to be able to do anything offensively. And they're going to have to play. You know, Iowa State didn't play a perfect game by any stretch. But, you know, but Iowa State's better than they are, too. Way so, better offense. Yeah. Quarterback I mean, is night and day. Deckers could start for well, either team, uh, frankly. But, you know, they they have a much better wide receiver <laughs> than, than either of these teams have yep. right now. Um, they, have a, they have capable running backs. They have a more veteran offensive line. So I'm not boosting Iowa State or anything. I'm just saying that I think that they are um, – they're, they're a stronger team uh, than, than what Iowa's facing on Saturday. It's just a matter of can Iowa execute the way it wants to. I think they're very much capable of doing that offensively, at least a, at least on three to four drives, which could be two touchdowns and a, two field goals. And then defensively, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they go four weeks in a row without with 10 or less points. Yeah, and I anticipate Iowa getting a turnover or two here defensively. Um, mm-hmm. Just too many playmakers in that back seven. Um, and if Belton – or Belton – uh, Jacobs comes back, yeah. you know, that's even a, a, a bigger bonus because that makes you even more versatile when you're able to, you know, go four, three, go cash a little bit more. Um, wanted to talk. <laughs> I think we had high hopes for Cooper and Eugene coming into this season, Scott, but he's, he's exceeded my high expectations. Just the versatility. Somebody asked me on the mailbag if I had a comp for him. And I couldn't really come up with a good one. And somebody threw Micah Hyde at me. And I was like, you know, that's not bad. That's really good. That's really good. He's bigger, you know, than yeah. Micah was. Uh, but, yeah, that's probably the best comp. And it just shows you what he's able to do in so many different ways. He impacts the game on damn near every damn down. It's awesome to watch because, you know, his interception was a, you know, toe step on the sideline. I'm like, man be a wide receiver he, he nearly had two more interceptions yep. you know fast breakups you know he's going out getting 10 11 tackles a game um you know two interceptions in consecutive weeks he's playing corner and cash although uh, you know one of the things i'm thinking you, this week's one of those man they're gonna have to play more four three because because terry roberts is balling too yeah um they're both playing really well and i i hate seeing that that <laughs> you know that one of them's gonna have to leave the field but man um Cooper's playing every bit as he's the you know he's playing the best out of the secondary and I think the secondary as a whole is playing really well I mean I think uh Kayvon Merriweather's coming up with some big sticks I think Quinn Schulte's been a real surprise and just simply because we just didn't know what to expect and Terry Roberts is 
Um, you know, he, last week he had a pick six called back because of a of an offsides call that really wasn't impactful. So I felt so bad for him, man. You know. Like I said, I was home watching the game on TV and they did a close up of his face and he just looked devastated. Yeah. <laughs> two two weeks in a row, he felt like he could have had pick sixes. You know, last week against Iowa State, which obviously he would have won uh, if they would have got it. But, you know, he stumbled and, and he just kind of went, oh, like he almost lost the yeah. ball, you know. And then this week it was, <laughs> you know, the, the, the agony of scoring and then realizing it doesn't even count. It doesn't even count for an interception, let alone a, uh, you know, pick six. So he'll get one. I, I have a feeling he's going to get one this year. He's just, he's the guy that to me, next level, he's going to make a living on, you know, for somebody at the NFL because he's such an awesome, awesome special teamer, as good as I've ever seen at covering kicks, gunning, getting down the field, stopping the ball that matters you know and then and then he's gonna my guess is he's probably gonna play something like a slot corner you know fifth or sixth db for a kind of like desmond does yeah yeah i mean you know again he's the type of guy you know desmond's physical like a safety Mm -hmm. and can pass rush i don't think terry's quite there but terry can cover guys in space and so that's i i think he's a, a next level player even more so than players who maybe play more even for Iowa so I I love watching those two play I think they're very exciting everybody wants to compare Cooper DeGene to, to Tyler Sash maybe in build they're the yeah. same but I think in style I think you're absolutely right he is like a hide and that is exciting for Iowa yeah we came into the season going okay we've got you know how do they replace Belton and Jack Kerner well through three weeks we have our answer pretty mm-hmm. well they replaced them yeah. pretty well. Another guy I wanted to highlight, Scott, who I think is playing really well and kind of goes under the radar because he's more of a, you know, set the edge type, uh, make sure the defensive front is where it needs to be. But I think John Wagner is playing really good this season. Mm-hmm. I think he's that one of those good senior stories. Yeah, I think you're right. He's, he is. And he's the, the unfortunate part for him. I've had this conversation with him is, by, by nature of where he plays and what he does, he's not going to get a lot of statistics, and therefore people are going to say, well, he only had two tackles last week or something like that. He takes up two blockers. He's, he's yep. on the rush side. Most teams run to the right. So he's, his responsibility is run gap responsibility, two gaps at that position, and he's tying people up. And he's allowing Jack Campbell to come in like Dick Buckets and kill people or, or cave on for that matter. Cause I can't cave on the same thing. I agree. Absolutely. With you. And I just, I, I think if there's one area that bears watching a little bit of concern, it's probably some of the, a, tr- a little bit of the injury situation of defensive tackle. Yeah. Um, Cause that's always a, a tough spot for Iowa. Um, if you have, um, you know, long-term or at least, Semi long term, you know, you've already got Yahweh YA Black out for, you know, probably yeah. uh, maybe another month. You know, I mean, that's and some tough. teams have hit some runs up the middle. Yeah, and and though Shannon only played five snaps the other day, so you've what's gotta, his prognosis for this week? Is he good? It sounds like last night that they think they'll have it, but okay, you know, we'll see. You know, it's it's tough to say, and um, I I don't. I think Louis Stack is is the ultimate try-hard guy. Mm -hmm. I don't know that you could throw him in there and line him up against Michigan every down. 
or a lot of downs for that matter, maybe in a couple of situations. I think, you know, we saw Aaron Graves have a sack. I think Jeremiah Pittman really played well. They, I know Kelvin Bell loves both of them. They're both really good players. So hopefully they can catch up to where, all right, they can rotate, get in. Because you're going to need a, a 300-pounder like Jeremiah Pittman. If you can have him for 10, 12 snaps against Michigan, even with a semi-healthy Noah Shannon, that's really helpful. And then Aaron Graves, to me, is he's still trying to use his athletic ability. And once he gets the technique down, He's not, he's going to be unstoppable, but I think he's probably more of a pass rush type of guy as opposed to a run stopper, just because like Michigan, and I'm, I'm using Michigan as the example, but they're going to be the ones that, you know, could blow them off the ball just because they know the technique so much better. I think more reps for Lucas Van Ness is what I want to see. Mm-hmm. Play him outside, play him inside, play him at linebacker. I don't care. Just get him on the field. Yeah. You know, if, if there are more issues with Shannon, I, I almost would, wouldn't would mind seeing Wagner go back to inside for a little bit just because he plays that role so well. And then maybe Van Ness outside because he's such an incredible pass rusher. And, um, yeah, I, he he's the most impactful of the defensive linemen, I think, at this point in his career. Um, the best pass rusher, full-service guy. Um, I think this year he's probably like a, what, maybe like a third team, all big 10 type yeah. of guy, you know, maybe even second team, depending on how the season progresses. And then next year he can come back as a preseason all American. So I think he's, his upside is limitless and I want to see him more. I think it's more of those typical Iowa kind of honor, you know, situations, which as long as he's getting his snaps, it's kind of like with basketball, people really fret over who's starting, who's not. Right. And a lot of times it's not just look at it in fourth quarter, who's on the court, who's on the field, what's their snap count, what's their minute count. That's what to worry about, not who's starting it at the tip and not who's starting at kickoff. Similar. I mean, we saw it with AJ Epinesa, yeah. you know, kind of you got to build up your equity and then you get more playing time and it drives people nuts, but it works. Yeah can't complain too much about the production. I mean, and even if Parker Hesse, you know, you're looking at him and you're thinking, you know what? He's still in the NFL. He got a pass. He got a fourth down pass the other day. And Great. what uh, an incredible story. He is. Yes. Um, There's a picture of him. Uh, they played the Rams. Falcons yeah, I saw you tweet that. Yeah. That was cool. And you think about Gervas and him and their journeys, you know, walk on from Davenport Assumption, hurt early in his career. Um, two-star quarterback from walk-on in Northeast Iowa, came here, flipped positions, played defensive end, and now they're still on NFL rosters getting paid and flop, flipping jerseys. It's just that, – that to me is the type of picture that they need to just like hang in, in some of their rooms, you know, like, hey, this could be you. It doesn't matter where you start, but here's where you could end up if you do it the right way. Yeah, no, no question. It doesn't matter what you're ranked. In high school, um, maybe some of those stars get you a little bit of more opportunity at some places. Uh, but we saw, we've seen this year, some of Iowa's bigger recruits in this 22 class, I think, understand. And we saw it with AJ. I know he was frustrated at times that he didn't play more earlier, but he understood. Um, and now he's on the best team in the NFL, and he's part of a ridiculous defensive line in the pros. Um, but Xavier Wampa, you know, coming in, cutting his teeth on special teams and learning the game and something to be said for that. You can't, not everybody's Alabama and 
Ohio State and, you know, wherever, you know, you throw guys in there. But you kind of got to earn your stripes at Iowa, and there's something to be said for that. Well, you look at the backups at safety, you know, for instance, at Iowa right now. And, I mean, I think Kayvon is, uh, you know, has been playing really well. And do you take him off the field, a fifth-year senior or one of your captains, a guy that has invested in you and has is really, I think, I think, award winner. Yeah, I mean, inaugural one for us, and <laughs> and totally deserving. And frankly, if I'm not going to say he saved the program or go that far here, but I think he is everything that Iowa needed to have at this program at that time juncture in time, and you want to pull him off the field. Um, I wouldn't do that in a million years. And I think with Quinn Schulte, I think that was the natural look like, Hey, this gets a lock on, but, but he's playing really well too. And he's, he's earned it. He knows where to be, where to set up. He arrives in ill humor and, and uh, breaks up passes. And I think Xavier Wampa is catching up. You know, he's playing a lot of special teams. That's a lot of snaps. And next year, I think that would make sense for him to, Hey, we're going to start him out at, you know, where Kayvon is. There's no problem there. Now, Sebastian Castro is also playing his ass off. And I really, he's a guy that I'm like, and I would love to see him out there. But, um, you know, you, you can only play certain certain number of positions. You know, maybe he's the type of guy that if they ever go dime coverage, he plays kind of a linebacker role, but they haven't had to worry about that yet. Maybe when they play Purdue or Ohio State, you'll look at that one a little bit more closely. That will segue us into a little recruiting talk here, Scott. Speaking of stars, uh, Kendrick Raphael, running back from Florida, uh, three stars in some places, four stars in others. Good running back, having a really good senior season. Uh, announced that he was de decommitting from Iowa yesterday, last night, whatever it was. Um, I've been trying to do a podcast with him for this feed. Uh, we do a prospect podcast on here. We've had a couple so far, Asa Newsom and uh, David Calker, check those out. Um, but he kind of, we kind of schedule them and then cancel them and schedule them and then he cancel them. And I was kind of getting, we were all kind of getting vibes that this thing could open up again. Uh, so I don't think, if you've been paying attention, you're probably not surprised by this. Yeah, you're right. When he said that he's committed to Iowa right now, <laughs> yeah, just using those words. When you qualify with right now, yeah. that should be a, you should pay attention to that. Yeah, that's that's when you're like, okay, something's something's going on here. Now, you know there there are all kinds of different areas, and until he actually talks about the specifics, and I don't know that he will. You know, maybe he doesn't want to do it that way. But uh, you know, you look at him; he's from Naples, Florida. He's blowing up this year. I'm sure that there are a lot of SEC and AC schools in that region that are really looking at him hard. And, and he's probably thinking, you know what? I committed to this school. It's, uh, I don't know how many miles away, a thousand miles. I, I, Halfway across the country. Right. I mean, Naples isn't exactly like even Northern Florida. No. So, um, you know, it, it behooves him to take a look around now, maybe, you know, then I don't expect this, but maybe it's like, hey, I, I, I really want to go back to Iowa at some point. But chances are he's probably going to look at, you know, Florida State, maybe Miami's involved. I don't know. Um, you know, a lot of people are speculating NIL. I think that's a lazy take. I think, you know, like Charlie Jones, everybody, oh, it's the NIL. Well, they didn't even have a collective set up then. And I think we were seeing why he left Iowa. Uh, and so I think that's uh, when it comes to, uh, 
you know, Kendrick Raphael, it behooves him to take a look, you know, and, and this is an honorable way. It's not taking a, a clandestine visit, you know, or sneaking out or anything like that. Or, you know, he decided to, to decommit and it helps Iowa at this point to say, okay, now you can start to move on to your next target or two and, and start to really analyze, you know, Nolan Ray, for instance, who was also on that visit. He was clearly the number two behind Raphael and he committed, you know, right? Yeah, he committed to Maryland. So, okay. yeah. So, you know, then you've got, uh, you know, hey, you know, they've been in touch apparently. And, you know, look at the, look at him. You know, there, there are all kinds of good players. That, and now having it happen in September versus, you know, after rivalry weekend, I think it's a really, you know, it's, it's, it sucks because I think he has a ton of talent. I really do. I think he's, he's the type of guy that would excel in what Iowa's doing, but I, I think you're also going, okay, let's step up, go to the next guy. And Iowa, I think we'll get a walk-on from Durant, and I know people will laugh at this, um, but this kid, you got to check this kid's film out, Scott. Do you Have you seen Nolan, De, Nolan DeLong yet? I I have a little bit, yeah. And he's and he's he may not be a running, I mean, you probably come in as an athlete, so you give him a look at running back, but he's mm-hmm. He's fun to watch, and that's not a replacement for Ken Raphael. You need to get a scholarship running back in the class, but there are players out there all over the place, and Iowa should be able to get a running back. The difficult part is, and I think, I think it's reasonable and plausible to say that one of a possible reason for Raphael is the youth of Iowa's depth chart at the position. Yeah. And I'm sure if schools are recruiting against Iowa, they're pointing that out if he doesn't see it himself. So that's kind of a challenge too in this situation. It, there's nothing you want. I mean, I'm sure Iowa's like, well, yeah, we, we've got really good young running backs. That, that's what yeah. you want. Well, exactly. I mean, they've got five guys that are sophomores or younger, right? They're on scholarship and, you know, we haven't seen enough out of Devin Hilson yet, but the rest of them, I mean, they've got, <laughs> you know, they're, uh, you know, more than capable in my eyes of stepping in. I thought I liked the way Jazz Patterson ran the other day, you know, when he got in the fourth quarter, um, a little bit smaller, a little bit quicker. Um, you know, uh, obviously Caleb Johnson, if you're any kind of a running back and you're thinking about Iowa, you look, you say, that guy's a true freshman. He just did that. Yeah, he's going to be playing. And, and then he looked, yeah. you know, LaShawn Williams started the first two games or and Gavin, excuse me, Gavin Williams is there. And, you know, he's mature. I understand it. You know, that's that's to me, you know, some people want to push the panic button already. Oh, this is what the offense did and all that stuff. I, I don't quite go there yet. I, I would be more concerned about that regarding a quarterback or a wide receiver than I would be a running back. And because that's really shallow um, as a running back, especially when you know what Iowa, who, you know, oh, they got the best tackle in the country committed. Um, you're going to be running behind that. He's going to the NFL. Um, I would go there for that. So, and you're not going to play day one anyway. I, I think it's, but, you know, Dur- the, the Durant kid, Nolan DeLong, that might be perfect for him to be the scout team guy next year. Go in and play running back on the scout team. And then after the season, that's when you decide, hey, we want to move him to safety. We want to keep him a running back. Maybe we do something different with him. Um, that, that to me, would probably be the best bet for him. But I, I think he'd be great. And, 
Now, uh, Asa Newsom, I know you talked to him, what, a week and a half ago or so. Uh, what did he, can you kind of remind everybody what he had to say and where things stand with him? Yeah, he's still working through the process. And I um, try to remind people of this, try to remind myself of this sometimes, that it is a recruiting, it's called a process for a reason. You're trying yeah. to, you know, evaluate the schools that are interested in you, what your interest level is, find your home, find the best spot. We talk about it on this podcast a lot about the transfer portal and how many guys are in there and guys going to schools and, you know, and, and Asa mentioned this too. He goes, you know, you go through the process and schools are going to always show you the best side. They're always going to give you the positives and you have to figure out, you know, and, and most of those positives are accurate, but what are the drawbacks? whatever they may be. And if, for those that don't know, it's Kansas, for him, it's Kansas State, Iowa, Minnesota, Stanford. So a wide array of schools, different size towns, different conferences, all of those things that play here. Um, he's playing both ways this year. I think he's a linebacker at college, uh, in college, um, but he's a really good athlete. He's a guy that you can see, you know, potentially moving to different spots defensively, offensively. Um, but he didn't sound close to me, Scott. He didn't sound like he was like on the verge of making a decision. They're very good this year, Waverly Shell Rock, and they've got a chance to win a state title. And that's where his focus is. And that's where it should be. And if the schools that are interested in him really want him, that scholarship will be there when he's ready to make his decision. For sure. Um, you know, it's an interesting dynamic among those four schools, because if, you know, Stanford athletically is not where it was when we saw him in the Rose Bowl. It's not been a very competitive football program. Great coach, fantastic coach, but they haven't, you know, they're kind of like Northwestern, yep. except they've had less success than Northwestern even the last few years. So, um, but it's, you know, an incredible area and the academics, you can't go wrong. Um, I, that's understandable. So it's hard to get past that. And where do they end up conference-wise? Does he end up yeah. playing in the Big Ten? Right. You know, do they if they go to the Big Ten, then he's going to be back here <laughs> or, or in Minneapolis on yeah. a frequent basis. That's not very far, even Madison. Uh, if you look at, you know, Minnesota, Iowa, that's to me kind of a fascinating breakdown between those two. I think it's probably about comfort and fit, even though Iowa, of course, is closer. It's an hour and a half versus three hours probably to Minneapolis. Um, you know, I think it's, do you fit better or feel like you fit better with PJ Fleck or with Kirk Ferentz and, and the coaches who are recruiting you? And because uh, academically, it's probably a wash. City-wise, it's different. Obviously, you're playing, you know, in a metro area versus, um, you know, a, a true college town. Kansas State's an interesting one because of Chris Kleiman and his roots, you know, in, in Waterloo. He's done a really good job recruiting Iowa, um, which I think if you're Iowa, you're a little bit fearful of the Nebraska opening and him yeah. because I think he can really do some damage there. Um, you know, he's, he was at North Dakota State, had great success there. Uh, losing to Tulane probably doesn't help him very much if that continues because I thought that they were going to be a pretty good program this year. You know, my own opinion, it would take it or leave it. This probably comes down between the Hawkeyes and Gophers, and it's going to be about fit. And, and I think he'll be happy either way. PJ really hasn't had a big win in Iowa. He's commit, he's come down to Iowa a lot, 
but he hasn't had that big wow guy, you know, at least I can't remember any, maybe, maybe you can. Co, uh, was it Co Keefe, you know, the tight end that was mm-hmm. like really up the Northwest border, but I don't remember him being a, an Iowa target or anything. And so I don't think, I don't, I can't recall anybody that he's one that Iowa really wanted. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think this would be, you know, certainly a, a feather in his cap, but, you know, which is why, you know, maybe this weekend's games are, you know, matter. I mean, the punt, punt of Palooza and, and, you know, in Piscataway, uh, and then, uh, and then of course, what Minnesota does at Michigan State, which I think is a sneaky big game. Yeah, the rowboat is on the road for the first time this year. Um, yeah, let's, ho- let's hop over into that. I think we've hit uh, the Iowa angles here. We'll broaden it a little bit. I want to do uh, – somebody had asked me about strength of schedule on the mailbag as well this week, Scott. And that's that's where it's difficult going into conference play, comparing teams, because everybody's got – you know, Michigan played a, a – like a just a soft non-conference schedule as did Minnesota. So there's um, teamrankings.com does uh, strength of schedule. They keep it week to week through the year. The um, Purdue has played the the toughest schedule in the big 10 so far. And that makes sense. They, you know, you got Penn state at home, you got at Syracuse that that's tough. And they're one and two, they lost both of those tough games. Uh, Ohio State is 11th. Penn State is 12th. Um, If you're talking about the Iowa angle on this, Iowa is at 73. The aforementioned Rutgers with Wagner on its schedule is 102. Mm. So you're talking 30 spots there between these two. So even though Iowa is 2-1 and and Rutgers is 3-0, these non-conference schedules are just not created equally. And then we talked about Minnesota, one twenty nine out of one thirty one. Yeah, exactly. That's the that's the thing. You know, when you look at Purdue, their strength of schedule is. I mean, Syracuse. Nobody expected Syracuse to be as good as what it is, and that was a tough game. I mean, Vegas did when they <laughs> set the yeah. line, uh, but it, other than that, I mean, we. It, I kind of thought Dino Babers was going to end up on his way out, and and here we go. And uh, instead. Uh, they, you know, they turned out to be a pretty good team. The Penn State, both that game and Penn State Purdue were back and forth final minute games. I think, I think Purdue has been a very impressive team. You know, that doesn't mean that they're going to win the West, but I think that they, they look to me like, okay, this is a formidable type of team. This is a team you got to really watch out for because otherwise you could, uh, uh, you know, they, they could beat a Wisconsin, they could beat an Iowa, they could beat anybody else. They lack some um, discipline. Yeah, they obviously, but those are those penalties in that last drive that, that yep. lost them the game. Frankly. Yeah, but I also, you know, Notre Dame's, you know, second in the country in strength of schedule, and they're one and two, you know. So, um, you know, that's uh, there's just a lot there. I think you Michigan's 96, by yeah. the way. <laughs> exactly. Now, you know, what you really worry about is if you're like Northwestern and you're 92 and you're one and two, you know, and that's just, you know, Iowa State is actually lower than Iowa, you know, and um, you'd think that they might be a little higher. You know, Nevada's not very good. You know, so it's, you know, right now you just kind of take it all with the greatest all hell, even Wisconsin's two and one. So, you know, I think every anybody who played New Mexico State gets, you know, gets that on their shirt, 
<laughs> roadkill. Stain, that stain, yeah, the roadkill on his shirt. So, um, but yeah, you know, so, I think the the moral of the story here is this is going to be a wild west. I think, yeah, very much so. Probably the last year for it. I think they're going to go to a divisionless system next year. Um, and they should, right? I mean, you yeah. look at what Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan look like so far, and, and we got a long way to go, but they are so far and away the three best teams through this portion of the schedule, at least. It's not really close. You know, here's the, here's the thing that uh, they won't want to talk about, but the team that finishes second in the East has a better chance of reaching the 14 playoff than if they were in the West, because you know, let's say let's say Ohio State wins the the whole shebang; they're undefeated, and Michigan doesn't have to have that back to back, or Penn State doesn't have to play Ohio State twice. If they were eleven and two, they're not getting in the fourteen playoff. But being eleven and one, they have a really good chance. Well, that could so, happen this year. Yeah, absolutely. So they should actually actually be saying thank you that there's divisional play. Now the years where they now the, the flip it you know, might be the years where um, everybody's got one loss or something like last year, you know, was, was kind of that year where if you're Ohio state, maybe you want that extra, you know, to get into the tournament, but this year it's about getting two teams in the tournament. And this is the best way to do it because, you know, I mean, you know, we, we cover a, a Western team. It, every team's flawed. Every team has, you know, we don't know what we have in Minnesota. They look like the best, but, my alma mater is not very good, you know, Western Illinois. They're, they're, they haven't won a game yet. They're playing you and I who hasn't won a game yet either. Um, if they played at Iowa, it might be 66 to 7 too, you know, just like it was at Gopher Land. So, um, you know, who do we who do we pick? I mean, that's why the, the door is open for Iowa. But, you know, that's why this game is also very imperative this week that if you've, you've got to win. And you gotta, you got to feel good about your win because – Michigan's going to be tough, and then you turn around and you play Ohio State later in the month. There are no gimmies. You're not going to play uh, Maryland or Indiana where you feel like you have that automatic advantage at home. Yes, and I think at least, again, what we've seen so far this year, you know, disclaimer, things change. Um, Iowa has to play at Minnesota and Purdue. Um, you would much rather play at Nebraska. <laughs> and north and or northwestern although that's yeah. been a house of horrors at times for times for iowa those are two tough roadies that was purdue your ohio state minnesota purdue on the road that's that's a tough that's those that's those are tough nuts one difference though is that they've had success at minnesota no doubt that, you know and and actually if you look at their last few games they've had more difficult games against the gophers at iowa city than they have up there but that's and that, they've that had is, tough games at Nebraska too, when Nebraska's yeah. not been very good. So yeah, right. Yeah, Who knows? I mean, you know, just like Northwestern, they've won the last two on the road and lost the last three at home. So <laughs> they yeah. really need to end that streak. That's for damn sure. And in Illinois, it really hasn't mattered either way. I mean, they've they've uh, had really they've had some fist fights, but they haven't really <laughs> had a competitive game for a long, long time. So, but I expect Bielema. To, to be very physical with Iowa and, and with Chase Brown as a running back, that's better than what you see at Rutgers on Saturday for sure. And, oh, yeah. You know, Chase Brown's is um, – he's better than what Iowa State has this year. Um, Brees Hall, maybe not quite that good. 
He's better, you know, Ohio State, Travion Henderson's pretty damn good. So that, they're better there, but not, it's still, it's, it's going to be a challenge. And, and, uh, but this team, if this offense continues to take shape and if they don't have any more serious injuries, that they will put themselves in a position that they can win, you know, they're, they're probably going to lose to Michigan and Ohio State at this point. You just got to kind of, if you're sketching it all out, Michigan, they might have a better chance because it's at home and it's a, a familiar style that they can deal with a little bit better. And as long as they don't give up any big plays like last year and and if they're in the game in the third quarter. Um, so, but JJ McCarthy has been really good too. So, I mean, but if, you, if they keep those losses to just those two teams, then they'll be in competition to win the West. Well, they could come out of this week and, and leading or, or at least up there in the West. I mean, yeah. you got Wisconsin at Ohio State. You've got Minnesota at Michigan State. Yeah. Purdue already has a loss in the Big right. Ten. Yeah. Uh, so does, so does Illinois. Uh, is, it, is it Northwestern at first? You know what? Let me take a look. <laughs> North yes. <laughs> Northwestern's in first and it comes into the into uh, the weekend first in the West. And if, and if Iowa loses two, if like the whole Northwestern still in first, because <laughs> they're playing Miami of Ohio this week. Yes. So, and uh, favored. They're favored. Yeah, they're favored. Miami of Ohio. Yeah, right. Uh, that, that, was, that was probably as brutal of a loss for Big Ten teams. Yeah. I mean, you, don't, you don't lose at home to an FCS team like that. I mean, it's one thing, again, North Dakota State, maybe even a South Dakota State or James Madison when they were FCS. I know they're transitioning, but <laughs> to lose South this Southern Illinois. I mean, it does show you, though, that that I don't think there – I didn't see any fans at the game. It looked kind of like Iowa at 1 in the morning, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Press IU uh, playing at, at Evanston. All right, I've put this off long enough, but it's time to read the results of our picks. Uh, Scott, eleven and two. We're we we're picking against the spread too, so that is uh, that is big big stuff right there. I was seven and six last week. Scott for the season twenty five twelve and one. I am seventeen twenty and one. Um, do you want to get on the document bandwagon here and ride him this week on these picks we're about to make? Um, you've got them written down, right, Scott? So I'll let you take over here. Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, it's, uh, we actually have a game tonight. Isn't that Hey, awesome? I saw that this morning. I didn't, well, I, that totally slipped past me until this morning. Yeah. Uh, the, the fighting Illini play, uh, on a Thursday night. I, I looked at that earlier in the year and I was like, oh, that's cool. Uh, because they just had so many weird games, you know, they, they open up on week zero, and then they had an early bye week, so they moved it to a Thursday night. I love it, uh, you know. And even though I'll, do you I, have you know, Amazon? I, yeah. Well, yeah, so do I, because I know yeah, people I are freaking right. out about NFL on Amazon. But get yeah. with the times, people. It's not going to change. It's it's only going to go more in this direction at some point. Uh, Although it's one, Pittsburgh and Cleveland, which will be like Rutgers and Iowa, I think. <laughs> yeah, Mitch, Mitch Trubisky and Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, it's not exactly Roethlisberger and Deshaun Watson. No, it's not. Although that could be tough on or off the field for yes. Um, well, I'll stop now. Um, Chattanooga at Illinois. Illinois, the the site that I had or whatever was minus eighteen. I'm going to go with the Fighting Illini. I think 
the Belamos pull out a pretty big win tonight in Champaign. Yeah, full disclosure, I know nothing about Chattanooga, other than that it's in Tennessee, so I will take the line. <laughs> I'm what was that? Eight, what did we have that one at? 18? Eight, 18, yeah. Okay. What did you see? I haven't looked. I'm just writing it down. I want to make sure I keep track of this. And when I write down, my face goes off the screen so the folks on YouTube can celebrate. <laughs> Oh, you're too funny. <laughs> I have, uh, we, you know, the Saturday games, the one on Fox, this is a really intriguing matchup to me. Maryland at Michigan. Uh, is this Michigan, big noon? Yeah, I think. So Michigan gets two weeks in a row of big noon. Yeah. Um, one at home and one on the road. And uh, I think this one, I, it's minus 17. But I, I'm going to go with Maryland to cover. I don't, I'm not going to pick in the win outright, but I think Maryland covers. They've got an offense. Michigan has not played anybody. I don't, I'm not saying Michigan's not a good team because I think Michigan's an outstanding team. It's just, you know, what, what kind of score are you looking at here? 38 to 21? You know, I don't know. I think they, I think Maryland can put up points. Uh, the one game where they didn't was Iowa, uh, you know, but that was like a minus four, you know, for the Hawkeyes. So I'm going with uh, the Terrapins. I'm going to go with the Wolverines here. I'm going to throw the 17. Um, Maryland in the big house. Maybe Michigan takes them. Maybe Michigan takes it lightly. But I think uh, I think Michigan's offense is for real, without a question. It's going to be – I'm worried about the 17 just because it's so many points, and I, I agree with you. I think Maryland can score. I just think – Michigan will be able to score enough to cover that up. Here's what I envision that it's uh, 44 to 21 in the final minute. Yeah. And Maryland has the ball. And then that's a situation where they get a backdoor cover or you can definitely see that. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. They have a, you know, and if Michigan, it might depend on if they have reserves uh, in the yeah. game or not. Um, Central Michigan at uh, Pennsylvania State University, 60, uh, 200. Uh, 26.5. Could be 200. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it very well could be. Uh, you know, um, Central Michigan is not real good. Um, they're one and two, but they're not horrible, horrible for a MAC team. Um, they lost, they actually played fairly close against Oklahoma State. They only lost by 14. And, but then they also lost by 14 to South Alabama, who's not, who lost very, very close to UCLA. So it's, it's a weird year. Man, I'm going to go with Central Michigan. I think 26 throwing 26 and a half is tough, especially after last week against Auburn, uh, winning that game so decisively on the road that there could be a natural letdown for uh, the Nittany Lions. So not that they're going to lose, but that maybe it's a, a 20 point win. You know, 31 to 10 versus 38 to 10. Yeah, I'm with you. I uh, coming off an emotional road win in the SEC. Also had an emotional first week against Purdue and got the win. Just wonder if Penn State's going to have just enough of a letdown um, to not be able to cover that many points. Like you said, I think they win. Maybe it's 21 by 21 points, which is still an ass kicking, but it's you know five and a half below the spread. I think Central Michigan can hang in there for a while and maybe yeah. gets maybe covers it up late mm -hmm. with a garbage touchdown 
I could see it anywhere from 34 to 13, yeah. you know, 27 to 10. You know, I mean, a decisive victory, but the cover is tough. And again, going multiple weeks over and over and over again. And, you know, I mean, I guess it's the the old adage, you know, good teams win, great teams cover. And uh, Penn State, you know, they've got, you know, they have a big, uh, reopen Big Ten play next week against Northwestern. So I don't know that they're looking ahead <laughs> as much as they are. To looking ahead to the more. cats. Yeah. <laughs> I love that the cat scratch or whatever. <laughs> they both uh, have cat sounds. Yeah, exactly. It's like one sounds like a, a mountain and the other sounds like uh, one of my cats, but <laughs> cat in distress. Yeah. <laughs> um this one is the, the line surprises me, and I think they're just saying, come on, come on, there's a line in the water, come up and, and take the bait. <laughs> uh minus three Minnesota at Michigan State. I think this is maybe the most impactful of the early games we've seen this month. Oh man, I I'm gonna go Sparty. I I think you know they got a big wake up call on the road last week, and they came back and they fought. Um, I think that you know to me minus three is not necessarily the number. I I'm more of an outright person on this game. I think Sparty probably you know wins a close one, um, and Minnesota without Chris Ottman Bell, they have a great running game. They're going to be physical. It's going to be a, a one of those games I think everybody should want to see. But I just think Sparty at home, after what they dealt with, we don't know yet enough about Minnesota to pick them in a game like this. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the wrong team is favored. I think people are putting too much stock in Michigan State's loss last week, going halfway across the country. Michigan State has actually been you know, obviously lost the game, but it's played better competition. Minnesota really hasn't played anybody. And sometimes you worry about that wake. Oh shit. This team we're playing is really good. And we haven't played anybody on this level yet. And we're on the road and Michigan state has a good home environment. Um, I like, I like Michigan state too much in this game. (laughs) That's got me worried. That's how much I like Michigan state. Uh, Yeah, I know. I, I just, I really like this game. This is one that I wish was you know, moon or 11 because I could watch it. Uh, I'm not going to be able to watch it or except for just kind of glance up at it. So, uh, but I super yeah, I important think, for both teams too. Yeah. Very important for the season. Well, you look at Minnesota it, it, to me, if they win this game, they are automatically in the West driver's seat Yep. because the, the, the crossovers are uneven. You know, as we see in later on, you know, Wisconsin plays Ohio State. Iowa plays at Ohio State. Uh, they play Michigan State and Penn State, who are obviously pretty good teams. And I, and if, But if they get one of those wins, then, okay, they look like they're a team that you're going to have to – that's very formidable, and they, they're probably ahead of the ballgame because even Purdue has already lost to Penn State. But, um, you know, Michigan State cannot fall behind in that division because you're automatically – I mean, they've already got one loss. If they lose this one – and you got to figure that they're going to be at least underdogs in the other three big games in their division. That you know they're in danger of going seven and five mm-hmm. though, very very quickly, and that you know, then you know you, you've got a lot of howling. You know, hey, you know what? Why do we hire? <laughs> spend nine and a half million bucks on Mel Tucker to go seven and five? You could get half the coaches in America can do that. And, you know, so I think it's a really big important game. Except Scott and, Frost, yeah. Go three and nine there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
they don't have a defensive coordinator either, Eric Janander, nope. out, out the door. But uh, at, a, at Cincinnati, Cincinnati giving up 16 points. Wow. Um, that's a big number. You know, it's it's a it's a bus trip from Bloomington down to Cincinnati. It's not that far. I'm going to go with Cincinnati. Um, they've only lost one game. That was by a touchdown uh, at Arkansas. They they won decisively the last two weeks. They they beat Miami of Ohio, which is actually a rivalry game. It's hard to remember that because they were they played like 115 times. I mean, it's yeah. Um, you know, it's it's a weird rivalry game, but they won by 21, so it was comfortable enough. But I'm going to go with the nasty Natty. I think Indiana is is kind of lived a little bit. Uh, you know, last week they should have lost. They did lose. They didn't cover against Western Kentucky. They should have lost to Illinois. I think this is the week where the bottom falls out for the Hoosiers. Agree. I'll go with you for many of the same, most of the all of the same reasons that you gave. Yeah. All right, we're going to go with uh, on Big Ten Network at night. Miami of Ohio at Northwestern. Um, that's yeah. um, it's, it's six and a half for the the Wildcats. Rawr, 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 rawr. Um, <laughs> as I just mentioned, Miami lost to uh, to Cincinnati, thirty eight to seventeen. They also lost decisively to Kentucky on the road. You know the Fighting Deuce Hogans, um, but. I can't figure out if this is just another blah team or if they're actually not a bad Mac team. You know, they're just one that, hey, they're they're playing Cincinnati and they're playing Kentucky and they're losing, but they're not a bad team. I'm going to oh, – this is a tough one, and it's not just because of the number. I, I'm going to take – against my better judgment, I'm going to take Northwestern. But I, I think Fitz probably, after losing to Southern Illinois, probably has, you know – has them going in a, in a different direction. If they lose this one outright, especially, then I think they've got some major problems in, in Evanston, you know, stemming back from last year. I think they do have major problems in, in Evanston. And Miami uh, has played tougher competition to this point. Um, I think Northwestern wins the game, but I think that number's too big. So I'm going to go with the uh, – the Red Hawks. The Red Hawks, yeah. Two words. Yeah, yeah two words. <laughs> you got to remember that one. Yeah, well, it's a, you know, they, they had a different nickname for a lot of years. Yep. They, they changed, I can't remember when, 90s, I think it was. All right. Uh, the big game on ABC that many of you will be flipping back and forth to, Wisconsin at The Ohio State University, minus 19 for the – Buckeye, or yeah, Buckeyes. That's a huge number. Yeah. I'm going to go with Wisconsin to cover. I don't think they win, but I think they get in there because, um, you know, they got beat two weeks ago by Washington State, and that was not a pretty game for them. I do think one thing that they have, and it travels, and I do want to see how Ohio State handles it, is they do have a very physical running game, and they have a pretty good defense. I could see them stifling Ohio State a little bit, controlling the clock, controlling the ground, not winning, but playing competitive football game and within three touchdowns. So I'm going to go with the Badgers on this one. Could be similar to Ohio State-Notre Dame. Some similarities there between Notre Dame and, uh, and Wisconsin. But I'm going to go on a hunch here and uh, say this is a, one of the – statement games for Ohio State now that it's got its feet under it a little bit and uh, 
I think it's going to want to lay the wood here. Not that it will be able to, but I'm going to bet that it does. Okay. Well, you know, the, uh, minus 19. So what, what do you think of like, uh, you know, 48 to 14 type of game? I think Wisconsin's going to have trouble scoring. Wisconsin's passing game is just not it. And if Ohio State can load up against the run, I think it's going to be tough sledding for Wisconsin, even if if it wants to control the clock. Um, Wisconsin, good defense. So maybe it forces the Buckeyes to put together some drives, and that's a little iffy when you're giving, you know, a little scary when you're giving up that many points. But uh, I'm going to say – like 35 to 14, somewhere in there. Okay. That's I think it's close. I think it's a good number. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's definitely a number where you can see the, either side. So, um, you know, I, I think probably a 17 point game, you know, and you see it as more of a 21 point game. Yep. So, you know, which is why, uh, <laughs> why it's a good number, you know, um, finally, or the other than the one we, we covered, that's, uh, Florida Atlantic at Purdue. Florida Atlantic's two and two. Um, lost last week to UCF, forty to fourteen at home. So I'm going to go with Purdue. I think. Uh, What's the I number? Think, uh, it's eighteen and a half. And with uh, the fighting Charlie Joneses, I think to me is is something that uh, I, I think they're going to pull out of. You know, they did a couple weeks ago where they won just the, what gross number it was. Let me see what it was. Um, they got their win. Um, Indiana State 56 to nothing. I think it could be – maybe they won't give up nothing, but maybe it might be 56 to 22 or something like that. Yep, I'm with you. I think Charlie Jones can go for 200 this week and a couple touchdowns. It's. Uh, I think Purdue has that mentality offensively to pile on when it can, mm -hmm. and for that reason I will throw that big number. Yeah. And we look at the difficulties that, you know, again, they've lost two really close games that could have gone either way. They could be three and oh right now and approaching the top 10, you know, in my eyes, if they would have beat Penn State and Syracuse. So and they actually have another sneaky great game the following week, which happens to coincide time wise with uh, Iowa, Michigan. And that's Purdue at Minnesota. I think mm. that could, that's, that's, that's a game. Yeah. I think that could be. You know, two of the better teams that two of the better teams we've seen in the West. I mean, I think out of the four that people consider contenders, I think they are definitely in that category. Oh, great. Finally, finally, the number I have is seven, Rob. Do you have that as I I've seen number? seven or seven and a half. I'm good going with either one. Okay. Let's just let's take the hook out of it. Let's go seven. Iowa at Rutgers. Um again, looking at Rutgers, I think they're capable of winning. I think they have a good defense. I think they're capable of uh, playing good field position football, but are they capable of doing it for four quarters against a team that's used to that style of play? That's, that's very skilled in it. Now, granted they're plus four thus far. That's really good. Iowa's minus one in turnover margin, but I think that Iowa is too good in these environments. You have home teams that start to press. Um, if it, things aren't going their way, I like Iowa, throw the points. I think Iowa wins by double digits, and it could be, you know, it, it could snowball the other way. But, I mean, at this point, I like Iowa in the neighborhood of just on ballpark 17 to 6. And 
it could go decisively than that. I'm going to go the other way here just because I think touchdowns a lot with two teams with struggling offenses like this. You never know. Defensive touchdown, return mm -hmm. touchdown. I you can't really account for those things. So I just think it's going to be a touchdown to a, you know, a field goal to a touchdown separates these two teams. Uh, if it was in Iowa City, I, I certainly – uh, would like, like Iowa a lot more. First road trip halfway across the country uh, after a, a late night on Saturday. Um, I'm going to say like 16-13. Mm -hmm. um, Iowa wins it. Um, maybe 17-13. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's that in that in that range. Um, maybe it's 20 to 13, and it's a push. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to I'm, I'm going to take the points. People are going to freak, man. That's getting close to the over-under number, you know, it's yes. 20 to 13. <laughs> 34 is just insane to think about. But I yeah. think we were talking about it. I think, the, I think the Browns and Steelers tonight, I don't have it in front of me, but that is like really low too, super low number. Yeah, that is crazy. Um, yeah, well, look at the quarterbacks again, you know, Mr. Yep. Trubisky. I, I watched him play, unfortunately, for a few years. and. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I, I can see it, you know, a lot of things happening and, you know, what I, I go with like 17 to six and, you know, very well could be a pick six or something or, or a sack, you know, fumble, Iowa recovers at the five and scores a touchdown with one touchdown drive. And then maybe, you know, what you might be looking at is Aaron Cruikshank, you know, the former Badger. Uh, it was a very, very good kick return, you know, returns the kickoff and, and then that's what we'll give. It won't be any of the offense's inability to score. It'll be the kickoff return that infuriates Kurt Ferentz. For sure. I like the, I actually like the under. Mm -hmm. I still at 34, if I was, and I do have to bet on this game for the Bet Rivers contest, I'll probably maybe even push that up a little bit in a, a tease or something like that. Because I, points are going to be the premium. I just cannot see this game within the 20s. Mm -hmm. for either team and if it is one I think it will be Iowa I don't see Rutgers getting to 20 um, but I, it's a low scoring game in my mind it, it's strange because in some respects I could see it going like the Maryland game the one difference though is that Maryland has more talent but Rutgers has more discipline mm -hmm. so Mar Maryland when things went haywire last year and you know, and, and not to say that either one of any of those quarterbacks could throw five interceptions, no question for Rutgers. But what I the the penalties were the thing that really continued to hurt them when they had opportunities to to slow it down against Iowa. And then like one time a, a defensive lineman headbutted uh, Sam Laporta, you know, and that's 15 more yards and yeah. just stuff like that. That I think that's why it spiraled out of control as much as it did. And and so that's why I look at this and think if there's a couple of interceptions and I expect there to be for Iowa um, against this or sacks and fumbles and, you know, stuff like that. That's where I think Iowa can put change into some points and then turn it into, Oh shoot, we're down 20 to six. Now we really have to start throwing and then they start pressing and then it goes, boom. Oh, boom. Yeah. And, and that's why I could go the other way. And, and then boom, all of a sudden, before you know it, they, they cross the over. <laughs> 
Yeah, that would disappoint a lot of people because I think a lot of people are going to be on that <laughs> under the way it's moving. I think it started yeah. at like 36 and a half and it's already come down two and a half points, which is a lot already. Yeah. Before We're only at, at Thursday. So um, tell the folks what you have on the athletic this week, Scott. There you are. All right. There I am. Give um, us the athletic. What's on the athletic? I saw you have a story on the punters. People should read that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. This is the, I call this the greatest punting game in uh, all history. And I think this could end up being the, the great matchups that we've ever seen. And when you look at Tory. Uh, he's third in the country in punts per game and third in, in average yards per pick at 48.6. He's also the national leader in punts inside the 20 with 13, seven, 10, and fifth yard boots. You know, so. There you are. All right, I'm here again. Did I cut out? Yeah. Okay. Maybe it's your end, but not mine. It could be. That would be an upset. <laughs> That'd be a bigger <laughs> upset than uh, what? Hitting the over. <laughs> Florida Atlantic winning at Purdue. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not quite as big as the over <laughs> at Rutgers. But, but uh, as I was mentioning with uh, this Ponting situation, you look at Tory Taylor, uh, third in the country and in, in total punts, but also third in average at 48.6. He has the most. Uh, Punts inside the 20 with, uh, let's see, what is it, 13. And then the second place has 10. And then he has the most 50-yard boots with 11. And second place has nine. So he's obviously, um, we've seen it for years now, a, a weapon that hasn't been seen in Iowa City in 40 years. And then then you look at Adam Korsak. He hasn't had a touchback since 2019. Many of us who watched that game in 2019 that was one of the most incredible punting performances I've ever seen. Probably only eclipsed by a couple of Tory Taylor ones in recent years. So um, if it's as low scoring as we expect, it wouldn't surprise me if there are more than 20 punts in this game, one way or the other. So it could be, uh, it could be very exciting if you like that style of football. They will not break the record for punts, Scott. Do you know what that is? Was it in your story? I haven't read your story. Yet. I have put it, it in my picks. Now, uh, Kinnick, isn't it like 18 in a game? I mean, combined for two teams. Oh, combined. What was it? 77. Jesus Christ. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that ain't going to happen. It was well, Sydney. And I mean, it's one of those ones where you're like, God, that's not, it's one of those ridiculous things that you're never going to see again to be just impossible because the game has evolved so much but it was uh texas tech and centenary and ironically it was 1939 okay yeah well there were some different rules back then uh, and, and a couple that really caught me when i was researching some stuff one time and this isn't punting this is actually kicking off is that when the opponent the, the team that gives up the touchdown had the opportunity to either kick off or receive a kickoff 
and um, football back then, and punting was such an important weapon that teams often decided we're going to kick off even if we gave up a touchdown. I mean, it just seems so crazy now. Yeah, and that was a rule on record until the 2000s. You know, and it rarely happened. You know, since then, but that was one that you're just like, holy cow. Um, so yeah, I was reading this in 67. I don't know why this would be, and maybe it's to your point. 67 of the of the 77 punts, 34 by Texas Tech, 33 by Centenary, occurred on first down. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So different roles. Like, yeah, I mean, if they kicked off and you got the ball at the 10 or 11, and you're afraid of turning it over or whatever, which happened, there were a lot more turnovers back yeah. then, fumbles, and you know the ball was different. People were built differently, you know. So it was like, hey, let's just punt it back, and make them. <laughs> you know that would that, that could be similar i mean you might be able to get two-thirds of that no I'm kidding <laughs> i think that's even a bridge too far for kirk punting yeah. on first down yeah i thought about it a few times <laughs> what else you got on the athletic yeah that one and uh you know i looked i looked in depth at the uh the kind of the offense the pass offense and what changed um saturday night and the, the attempts down the field. And, you know, Iowa went from two 20-plus uh, attempts, uh, you know, total in the first two games to, I want to say they had eight the other day, and they were like three of eight hitting 20-plus passes. But just the way they were attacking down the field and the ease with which Spencer throws those passes kind of suggests to me now that we've got some receivers back that I think this is a, a type of, uh, you know, system that they can actually use and work to their advantage. So I, that's, uh, I wrote about that um, for Wednesday. And then, um, and then of course, today I wrote about the hunt of Palooza at Piscataway. <laughs> well, have a safe trip out there. I'll keep the uh, light on for you here uh, in Eastern Iowa and uh, have a safe trip out to my old stomping grounds and get some pizza for me and, Maybe a Nico Regaini sandwich. Yeah, I don't know if they named any of them after him. Maybe I'd have to go all the way to Connecticut for that. <laughs> but uh, no, you th- it's, uh, I, I tell you what, I was probably the least happy person that this was a night game simply because of the, uh, <laughs> uh, my flight the next day is like the crack of dawn. And I'm like, oh man, and it's like, I'm, I fly into Newark, which isn't that far, but all it's, game it's kind of rough so i'm like oh man i'm gonna have about as much sleep as i did last week you know with the getting home at five in the morning after the rain game it's like being back in college (laughs) i'm like human beings since then (laughs) (laughs) all right everybody thanks for uh listening to the podcast thank to thanks to our sponsors again uh iowa Rutgers, 6 o'clock Central, FS1 on Saturday night. Enjoy the game. Scott and I will be back to talk to you next week on the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast. Have a good rest of your week and uh, enjoy the game. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.